What is wrong with you? You've got nipples, use them for God's sakes. Welcome to an all new episode of the McFuture Podcast. Predictions and prescriptions for a world drowning in starving babies, but starved for meaning. Well, today I'm gonna talk about recession. Whether it's gonna happen, how it's gonna go down, why it's gonna go down the way it is. And you can look up my history. I've done some pretty accurate judgment calls on inflation back in March. Actually, I predicted in 2020 we were gonna have that. You can go back to my COVID episodes where you can listen to predictions about how the pandemic might pan out. That was pretty close. I would say much closer than the economists I made fun of in the previous episode. Look, if you're having trouble filling your tank or feeding your baby, or affording yogurt or meat or other necessities, we've narrowed down the causes to one of two things. It's either climate change or white supremacy. Now, there is a tiny little chance that it's Vladimir Putin. We have our best people currently researching whether Putin did it. They're trying to call him. Uh, they're faxing him. They're trying to get to his plastic surgeon because maybe it's him. Just stay tuned. All right. Seriously, the World Bank, not that I rely on the World Bank for my predictions, but they're pointing to something that is a fundamental truth. So they just downgraded the outlook for the entire global economy, saying there's going to be stagflation, which is another thing I wrote is likely to happen. Back in, I think, 2021, I wrote about stagflation. Stagflation basically means that Prices are going up, but the economy's not growing, which is terrible because ideally you want to be able to afford those things and under stagflation, you can't. Oh, this is what I wrote about stagflation, why stagflation is probable. I wrote this February 6, 2021. Inflated asset prices, stocks and property, money printing and stimulus, high unemployment and shift from impaired real life industries like restaurants and theaters to virtual pent-up demand plus infrastructure bill may help or hurt, and a minimum wage hike if that happened, question mark. And I wrote that in February 6, 2021. And now it's looking like a lot of people, including the World Bank, is uh, agreeing with that. So uh, here's what they're predicting. They looked at 189 countries, and they're saying that this year, for the duration of 2022, the global economy is going to expand 2.9% down from 5.7% in 2021. And they forecast originally 4.1%. That's not going to happen. They also don't think 2023 and 2024 are going to be much better. They're predicting 3% for both of those years, which look, it's hard to predict that far in advance, but they're not optimistic. And for the U.S., they're saying for this year, the forecast is going to be 2.5% growth as opposed to 2021 when it was 5.7. And China, which again, China, you can't even trust their numbers, but let's take it with a grain of salt. They grew 8.1% last year, and they're expecting it to slow down to almost half, 4.3%. And they are really crapping the bed with their zero COVID policy. Talk about the oppression necessary to get anything down to zero. I mean, look, we talk about, you know, crime in the U.S. and shootings and all this stuff and drug use and homelessness. 
you can do something about it. You can manage these problems, but you can almost never solve them. To get them down to zero, any problem, whether it's COVID or a crime or anything else, the amount of force that is necessary is so insane. Like they're welding people into their houses. They're locking them up and zero COVID is just not acceptable. Just like zero of anything is not acceptable and not possible. There's some differences here between what happened in 2008 and what's going to happen now and some similarities. So the first similarity is there are stock and housing bubbles. We've seen increases in housing costs in some of these hot markets like Miami and in Austin, literally hot. <laughs> People are sweating their asses off in Miami, but they moved from New York. They moved from California because they couldn't take their oppressive COVID policies. Also, oil prices went up. I think it was over $120 a barrel uh, in 2008, right before the market tanked. And now it's maybe even higher. And wars. So we had lots of wars then. We have wars now. So back then it was Afghanistan. It, it was, um, uh, I forget. <laughs> now we've had so many. Iraq, Syria, still going on. We've got Yemen, still going on. We've got now Europe, uh, still happening. But you wouldn't know it from the tweets because people moved on. Kanye's doing stuff and, or Johnny Depp is doing things or whatever it is that, you know, people get distracted by. They're over Ukraine. Because before it was like, I will give my body and soul to Ukraine. Now it's like, Ukraine who? Meh. And um, a lot of the problems in both cases, 2022 and today, were government-induced. We had policies in place in 2008 that encouraged lending to people who were unqualified for those loans. And there was no requirement to check. And we encouraged these financial institutions to make wild bets because before these banks couldn't bet on securities. Now they were betting on all kinds of uh, exotic securities and they're still kind of doing it. So anyway, so the government had a big hand in a lot of the stuff that, that's happening. Now it's a little bit different because of the stimulus. So, so now the intervention was pumping all this money into the economy to create the inflation that now they have to take that money out and create a recession basically in order to bring down the prices of homes and all the other demand for goods. So maybe it gives supply chains a chance to catch up. And there's some positive differences. So one, there's no obvious fraud, like with uh, CDOs and shady mortgages. So there's nothing like that. Also, the housing boom now is mostly rich people, not, not rich, but affluent people. And most of them are on 30-year mortgages, not adjustable rate like before, which, you know, it's like if the rates go up, then everyone goes bust, which is what happened. Uh, and by the way, the government made it worse because they uh, allowed all these financial companies that they gave all this money to, to buy up these homes for pennies on the dollar. So we essentially transferred wealth from individuals who used to own homes to now corporations that got to buy them for next to nothing. Government's not helping. Let's put it that way. Also, this time around, people just aren't as in debt as they were back then. A lot of it before was driven by housing. Now you could argue cars and maybe some other, you know, things are starting to creep up a little bit, but it's nowhere near the levels that it was back then. And there's also a lot of demand. There's still people are buying stuff. They still are going on trips. Like it hasn't really slowed them down in terms of driving. So yeah, they're paying more, but they're also going places. And maybe now they're shifting from physical goods to more experiential stuff. But 
lots of sectors are still doing all right, and some of them have shortages of labor. Uh, and employment in general this time around is much stronger. It's divided up a little bit differently, and maybe now companies are starting to pull back a little bit, certainly the startups. But in general, uh, it's much stronger now, and we're in a better place now than back then, because now people aren't going to take a bath on their houses. Uh, they might take a bath in their houses, but not on it. Um, and the banks now are propped up. So the Fed very quietly has been papering over the problems uh, in their financials with repo loans, trillions of dollars in repo loans. I follow this account uh, that uh, follows the Fed on Twitter, and they talk about all the money that they're pumping in. So much f***ery is happening behind the scenes that no one ever talks about. Anyway, the other thing that's, I guess, kind of positive is the crypto crash, which I'm going to talk about in the next episode. It's a sign that people are landing their spaceships because when you're no longer buying pictures of monkeys that are worthless, that maybe you'll show it off to your other nerd friends on Reddit, people are starting to wake up from this haze that they were in where they were buying up anything at all just because maybe it'll go up. And, um, there are things that are worse. Inflation is way worse than it was back then. Now the government is basically forced to raise rates to, to get inflation down. And overall debt levels for the country are way higher. We don't have the tools to jumpstart the economy the way we did before without creating more inflation. So we shot our load <laughs> all over the American people. We shot all this money from a cannon. We jizzed it all up. And now people are like, hey, uh, how are you going to help us? Well, you know, we can't. We can't help you because now it's a much more tricky situation to pump more money in because now inflation is high. The other part of it is now it's global. Back then, what's the expression? When America gets sick, the world catches cold or something like that. Maybe I'm butchering it. But now Europe is in trouble. And how embarrassing is it that Germany has to send baby formula to the U.S.? Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Now, I've read online, and this may not be true, but I've read on Twitter that men can lactate. So why aren't men stepping up to the plate and donating some milk? Guys, what is wrong with you? You've got nipples, use them for God's sakes. Go out there and help the baby formula situation. There is no supply chain problem. There is a you problem, a motivation problem. You just don't have the will or maybe the suction cups. So maybe we distribute the suction cups and men just start pumping, pump it, pump it up, help the ladies out. It is so embarrassing that Germany, Germany has to send us baby formula like we're some third world country. It is so embarrassing that we can't retool our own industries. We've got all kinds of uh, manufacturing facilities, medical companies, uh, food companies. You're telling me we can't go to Nabisco or Kraft or, or uh, Procter & Gamble or any of these companies. <laughs> For all I know, every company I just mentioned is all owned by the same company because uh, there's been so much consolidation that I'm not even sure when I name brands if they're all one and the same anymore. Anyway, but go to one of these companies or the one that's still standing and say, hey, can you just 
retool one of your factories to make baby formula to help some people out? How hard is that? How badly is this thing being botched by everybody? What is wrong? And now uh, Wall Street Journal just came out with an article saying how um, Abbott Laboratories, which produces baby formula, the biggest producer in the States, knew these problems were happening and and the supply chain was going to hit months before. And no one did anything about it. This is where are the heads that are supposed to roll? Heads should be rolling in government, in industry. And also the polarization is worse this time around than it was then. It wasn't great back then in 2008. People were make fun of George Bush, but now, <laughs> or at least during Trump, there's not a single Democrat that wouldn't choose Bush over, over Trump because they, they went ballistic over Trump and his tweets. Now no one can see eye to eye in anything, but that's going to affect our ability to, to do things. And Sometimes I think it's almost good because maybe doing less is okay, but the things that they do end up doing are so horrible that maybe they should sit this out. So here's my prediction. As the Fed increases rates, too late, but as it increases rates, home, stock, and other assets, they're going to plummet. They have to. It's already happening. Raising the mortgage rate cuts down prices in the value of homes. People aren't going to sell for lower values, but they would need to because people can't afford the payments. Now people are going to just pull their houses off the market or they're not going to move as much. So it really does restrict people quite a bit. The other thing that's already happening is startup capital is, is running dry. Just in general, anyone that's losing money and operating on losses is in trouble because it's much harder to get money because now they can put money into safer instruments and get a higher yield and not have to bet on crazy startups. Everyone is pulling credit, both for individuals and for companies. I was helping someone who is uh, not that great at managing their money to help them transfer their balances to a credit card. So they have these... Um, uh, balance transfer offers. Usually it's like 18 to 21 months and you can pay it off no interest over that period. So it's, it's convenient for people who ran up quite a bill and need to kind of parse out their payments. There used to be 20 to 30 offers available just like that. Now, all of them have been pulled. I saw maybe two or three offers on these websites, Bankrate, CreditCards.com, maybe a few others. So these banks are anticipating problems. They're, they're saying, hey, we, we don't want to take the risk because people are going to have some hiccups in terms of paying this stuff back, especially if they start getting laid off. And same thing with companies. The cost of capital goes up. So if you want to invest in your business, you want to grow, you might not Try to do that now because it's too expensive to borrow. Instead of paying 3% on a 10-year bond or 15-year bond, you might have to pay 4 5% or 5.5%, depending on how risky your business is. That creates that recessionary uh, environment. So what I'm expecting is something late in the year, uh, maybe around October, might happen sooner, but September, October, I think we'll have in a best case scenario, a four to six month recession where companies cut back, there's job losses. So I'm encouraging people to save up, at least have 
four to six months, if possible, of expenses. I don't think you should panic. I don't think it's going to be so dramatic because I do think there are industries that have high demand. And I think there's a lot of people who are employed in good jobs that aren't necessarily going to go away, especially like B2B type jobs. But what gets affected first is real consumption. So people just, you know, they're not going to go out to restaurants as much. They're not going to buy the the fancier food or as much meat. So in general, people are going to get fatter. Like I'm expecting a, a caloric explosion because people switch from the expensive stuff, which is protein and, and meat, uh, to things that are, you know, carb heavy. So a lot more pastas, a lot more pizzas, things like that. Also, discretionary goods are getting hit. People aren't going to upgrade their phones as quickly, or they're not going to buy, you know, the new monitor, or uh, corporations won't upgrade things that aren't broken, even if, you know, it could increase productivity a little bit. That'll help prices go down because these companies will be eager to sell more. So you'll see more sales to get you into the store. B2B gets hit last almost always uh, because those companies have longer term contracts. You're getting data services or hosting. Some companies might still cut back a little bit or go to lower tier plan. But generally speaking, the things you need to run your business, you're still going to need. You're still going to need point of sale terminals. You're still going to need software that that you subscribe to, or you're still going to need to submit your taxes and get TurboTax or Quicken for managing your business. Consumer staples are the things that are the most resilient, and that's sort of the flight to safety everyone talks about. So everyone goes, well, you know, I'll I'll buy Walmart stock, I'll buy Procter and Gamble because they'll send sell generic toothpaste or paper towels or whatever their lower end brands are. The problem is that the people who are already downgraded, you know, people who shop at dollar stores or whatever, there's no lower tier, so they're going to get screwed, and they're the ones who ultimately always get screwed, unfortunately. I think by 2023, rates are going to start going down. The government, the Fed is going to start pumping more money into the economy and they're going to do some stimulus and we're going to start to cycle all over again, these boom and bust cycles. And there is a way to run an economy without creating this. We refuse to do it because we have partisans who are in charge of monetary policy because the fed is is not really a government institution it's you know it's a bunch of it's a board of governors but it's banks essentially that run it and the way you make money is off of volatility if everything's just going slow and steady no one makes money from that. No one makes money from your satisfaction is sitting around in your house. No, you need to create swings. You make profits off of volatility because you may, you know, people are trading more often. You make money off the transaction costs. If it's slow and steady, who wants that? Companies want that. People want that. But the financial markets, hmm, I'm not so sure. We're due for a big rethink of the Fed. And I know there's a bunch of libertarians that are always talking about auditing the Fed. Not a terrible idea. I think we need to understand the decisions that have gone into screwing us over so many times over and over and starting all of these boom and bust cycles. I'm not convinced they're necessary. And I think there's a better way to manage capital. And not that I have it off the top of my head right now, but I'm pretty sure that if we sat down with some really smart people, nonpartisan people, I think we could come up with something. Um, and even now, all of these people are so polarized, they're completely misreading everything. So Netflix, for example, they put out this whole thing, hey, 
why don't you guys quit if you don't like the content? And everyone's like, all these anti-woke people are like, see, now even Netflix is on our side. They're ending wokeness. And I'm like, uh, no, they're not. So I uh, tweeted what they're actually doing is they're foreshadowing layoffs at a company that's not doing well. And they're also foreshadowing a recession and a shift of bargaining power from workers to employers. Because before it was like, tell us what you want. What causes do you want us to take on? We'll do that. We'll put on the uh, multicolored flags. We'll do whatever. We'll support BLM. We'll send a check. Tell, just tell us what to do because we need you to work here. We care about your opinions and your activism. And then all of a sudden, when markets get tight and the business starts to falter, it's like, uh, BLM who? Uh, listen, you're going to show up to the office and you're going to do this work. And if not, you can leave. I wrote that on May 14th. And then on the 17th, Netflix announces that they're laying off 150 employees and there might be more in the future. But that's just the reality. Elon Musk is doing the same thing. So people are like, oh, Elon Musk is against work at home because he released this whole memo. His work at home statement can only come from, it was a very strongly worded statement, uh, could only come from a person who's put everything on the line, which he did. He he was on the verge of bankruptcy and all his money was on Tesla, um, who also believes in his mission and believes that he has a powerful differentiator. Because if those uh, workers had options to go to another meaningful company, as meaningful as SpaceX or Tesla, they would, but he's confident that they don't because he's confident in his mission. So that's definitely part of it. But the last thing I wrote is he's willing to thin the herd. And I think a lot of companies are in that boat. So he's basically saying, if you don't like it, leave. And then a week later, it comes out that, I guess it was a leaked memo, that he wants to cut 10% of the workforce at Tesla. Sales are going down. Buying a new car oftentimes is discretionary. And plus, if people aren't moving from cities to suburbs as much because price uh, house prices went up, then they're not going to need a car to go with that house. So all of that is intertwined. I wrote a while back, wokeness ends when it's no longer profitable. The same thing applies to employment. Corporations will indulge workers when they have to, when the market's tight and they have to please everybody. When sales are rising, everyone's a genius. Uh, the woman, what's her name? Kathy, forget her last name, but the one who's um, a famous investor, she had a fund, ARK Investments. Everything was going through the roof. When people are buying irrationally, your tech fund is going to look spectacular. And it did. But now she's down over 50%, I think maybe even 60 at some point. At this point, no one's listening to Kathy because it's easy to look like a genius. And she's a very smart lady, but she was betting on something tech that was just going through the roof, including Tesla stock, which went through the roof. And one of the reasons that Elon might not go through with his uh, uh, purchase of Twitter is exactly that, because he leveraged his uh, Tesla stock in order to pitch the purchase. And now the value of both companies has gone down. He's like, hey, wait a minute. You know what? Maybe this isn't such a great idea because now it's a much more significant percentage of his wealth. You'll see a lot of companies thinning the herd and it will look like they're making a stand. No one's making any stand. This is purely amoral. These are purely business decisions. They might still send woke messages out there, but, but you're going to have to be sending them from the office, not from your house.
Work is not activism. Those are two different things. And I'm not saying don't be active. I'm just saying that don't expect your company to be active beyond what maximizes their profit. When you see the rainbow flag that everyone did for Pride Month, that rainbow flag did not appear in the Saudi iteration of those companies. It didn't appear in the South American versions of those companies. Those companies are just maximizing profit. So they're just adjusting the dials and the dial on pride in Latin America is down. And same thing in Asia and same thing in, in other markets. Corporations will never lead us. There is no moral authority there. There is only amorality and profit. It is up to us to drive what is moral in society. That means that, you know, all these people that are job hopping, the next hop might be onto the Titanic because, you know, the great resignation might end up as the great involuntary resignation. Because if you're jumping to a company that may be not as stable, the last person in is the one we're least attached to because we don't know you, we don't love you yet, and you're going to go. So last in, first out. And with startups, it's already happening. They're unprofitable. They're living off VC money. They had this huge spending orgy and venture capital was just like throwing cash at them for no reason other than everyone else was throwing cash. And the cash dries up when the when the rates go up. So now everyone's got this flight to safety. And already all these companies, so Lyft uh, announces that it's going to slow hiring. Um, this FinTech Bolt, which was a unicorn worth uh, multi-billion or $11 billion, they're pulling back on hiring, or I think they might be laying people off. So uh, anything that doesn't have a path to profitability is going to either go under, get acquired, or have to merge with something else. And I think that's really going to happen a lot. So all of these ride sharing companies, they're teetering. They, they are holding on barely. Like the entire business model for Uber is waiting for self-driving cars. And that's not going to happen for a long time. So that's why they've been trying all this other Uber Eats. Hey, what if we throw food at you? And Lyft is in the same boat. So the market really can't sustain uh, multiple players. It's just not big enough. It's not profitable enough. And they lose money competing against each other. Uh, also, all these delivery services, Grubhub, Instacart, all the work-at-home people sitting there ordering other people, go fetch my stuff. In fact, I thought of a great reality show. What I'd like to see is a six-month job swap between the people who are working from home and office workers and the people delivering their Grubhubs and their Instacarts and their Uber Eats. See what happens when they swap jobs. It is inspired by Eddie Murphy's movie, Trading Places, uh, something like Trading Graces or Trading. It might end up as Trading Races because I think a lot more minorities are doing the delivering. On some level, I think maybe they work harder and, and the companies, might end up not skipping a beat. And then these other people might start to appreciate the hard work that goes in to achieving their leisure. I think most people aren't prepared to deal with the ugliness that's required to build their comfort. And all the direct-to-consumer companies, they are gone. Like the subscription services, they're going to send makeup pencils or food delivery. None of them are profitable. Shipping is just too expensive. Packaging, shipping, 
and they're not even sustainable because the cancellation rates are through the roof on almost all of them. Because at some point, you run out of room in your house for all their junk, unless it's completely disposable. But even then, it's like food boxes piling up, and then you start to feel guilty. I used to feel guilty when magazines I'd subscribe to were piling up because I just didn't have time to get to them. I could only imagine if your food boxes are piling up. Hey, look at all these meals you have to make. None of it makes sense. All of it was just a fever dream. And all the capital intensive industries, they are going to have to either merge or all these companies like Rivian and all these electric car companies, those businesses are just too capital intensive. They're going to have to either shut down or merge with others and maybe sell their technologies or something. Because the market right now can't sustain that many players that haven't even launched yet. It's just too expensive to build the distribution, to, to get the materials, to do all of that stuff. There's going to be a cascading effect for all of the influencers and other people who rely on these startups to support their businesses. You know, like I, I tweeted this before the inflation kicked up. When Masterworks, ZipRecruiter, and BetterHelp run out of VC money, this podcasting collapse. A lot of media that's been sustained by uh, advertising by BetterHelp, <laughs> maybe BetterHelp will be the one that survives because I think in the future, all wars will be fought on BetterHelp, which is a psychiatric treatment platform. <laughs> people are like, oh, you know, we're going to have the singularity. We're going to have these amazing experiences in the virtual world. You're going to have a lot of experiences with therapy in the virtual world. Even the wars will be fought between therapists. You're going to have therapist bots. It's like my therapist bot is going to go fight your therapist bot. Uh, and somehow the military industrial complex will still sell them the weapons. They're still going to be involved. And the big winners, of course, when startups collapse are big corporations because now, you know, that money isn't there to, to, to pay those high salaries and all that talent is going to move back in. And maybe not for the long term. Maybe those people will get the itch again and when the economy picks up, they'll go to other uh, startups. But for now, the big companies are going to be winners. Although it's, it's hard to keep those kinds of people happy. It's funny. It reminds me, there's a woman who was spectacular. She uh, interviewed for a job on my team at American Express. She sat down with me and she was telling me, oh, I run this uh, women entrepreneurship organization. I do this other thing. I've, I, you know, I've been thinking about the startup thing. She, she had all this stuff, all this energy, all, all these ideas. And I'm like, you have to leave. <laughs> I didn't call security and have her escorted out, but I was like, I just as a just someone who cares about human beings, I told her this 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 isn't for you. You're 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 not going to be happy with any job in this building because no one is going to be able to give you the diversity of work or the challenges or the freedom or the speed of action that you're looking for, that you need. So you're going to have to get all of that outside of work. And I'm like, if you're comfortable with that, that's great. But that's the reality. And I think she was grateful for that. Uh, I think now, what is she? I think she works for Andrew Yang now. Anyway, those kinds of people don't do well in a corporate setting because the pace they want to work at and the things they want to accomplish are very hard in bureaucratic organizations. That's it. That's my rant for now. Hoping that you 
are successful, that your family is well, that you do well, and hoping that you also support this podcast. So if you found this valuable, please tell a friend, share it with all of your friends and enemies, and hopefully you can support the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash McFuture. That's it for this episode. I'm Steve Factor, and see you next week where I'm going to go off on crypto. In fact, I might put that episode up sooner and earlier on the Patreon. <laughs>